0: Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9:15 and 11 a.m. Well, here we are. Are you ready? All right, man, I've been looking forward to this moment for quite a few months. Man, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Guess What? Man Up. And man, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at God's design for manhood. God's design for manhood. In other words, if you're a dude from age 12 all the way to 82 and anywhere in between, the next three weeks is for you. All right? It's for you. Now, I realize what that means. I know that some of the ladies in the house are going, What about me? Like, what about me? Okay? We're grateful you're here today, too, especially the single ladies. You're like, Pastor, did you forget about me? All right. So here's what I want to say to all the ladies in the house who may be single ladies. Maybe you're in the market looking for a man. Okay. and so here's what you need to know about the next three weeks. You perhaps need to take more notes than anyone else in the house. And here's why. Because I'm going to give you an inventory list of what you need to look for in that man that you are so desperately seeking. And here's what's going to happen when he finds you and when he comes to you and he is into you and he tells you you're going to be mine, all right, and he does not meet everything that's on the inventory list, you look at him dead in the eye and you say, my pastor said you're not good enough for me, all right, do it, (laughs) write that down, okay. And if you are a wife or a significant other of a man in the room, here's what you need to know. Here's some little ground rules over the next three weeks. Here's what I do not need out of you over the next three weeks. I don't need any, that's right, amen, preach it, brother. Okay, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to want to do it, but don't do it. And fellas, I got a couple of things for you too. Here's what you need to know. First, I want you to know that over the next three weeks, I am speaking to you as a man who is far from perfect. Far from perfect. Man, I am continually growing in God's personal call on me and what it means to be a man. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. And God is growing me in that. In other words, I'm not batting a thousand at any of the things that I'm throwing at you. All right? I have to preach this to myself before i preach it to you i get it for seven days a week all right coming from him and then you get it for about 30 minutes and so i'm in this boat with you second thing you need to know fellas is that today and over the next three weeks i'm not holding anything back Just telling you, all right? Why? Because I want to beat you up and send you out of here wounded? Absolutely not. Here's why. First, because I know we as as men like a challenge. At least I do, all right? And second, here's what I know. God has given us the most influential role in all of humanity, in all of humanity. And statistics say that we're failing and the time's running out and we don't have time to sugarcoat and tiptoe around the truth, all right? So we're going to put on our big boy pants today, and we're going to get after it. If you have a copy of Scripture, open up to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, second chapter in the whole Bible. So go index Genesis 1, Genesis 2. We're going to be in Genesis 2 and 3 today. We'll put the Scripture on the screen if you don't have a harder digital copy for you to follow. Um, And if you're brand new to us, I'm going to be reading from the NIV version, the New International Version, if you want to kind of click over in your digital version to make sure you're paired up with me. Now, I've entitled today's talk, The Building of a Man, The Building of a Man. At the very beginning of a series called Man Up, I think it would be appropriate for us to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? Now, our culture defines a man in a lot of different ways. Our culture says things like, to be a man, it means you like to hunt and fish, that you hunt for your groceries with a bow and arrow or a rifle, that you drive a pickup truck, that you can work with tools, that you like to watch football, that you like steak and chicken wings, and that your favorite color is camo. That's what our culture says it takes to be a man. Here's what you need to know, all right? I'm down with some of those things, all right? Some of those things identify me, but here's what you need to know. None of those things make you a man. None of those things make you a man. On the other side of things, none of those things can be true of you, and you can still be a man. You can still be a man. Now, as we look throughout history and throughout Scripture, we see that every man is called to be a servant, a priest, a protector, and a provider. God's given us that designed role. But the question is, what happened? What happened? How did we go from men like the Apostle Paul and John Wayne and William Wallace to what we have today? What happened? All right, there's there's a lot of answers, and we're gonna ultimately get there. But here's what you need to realize. There's nothing more dangerous in this world than an insecure, ungrounded man. Nothing more dangerous. That's what gangs are full of. That's why casinos are packed. That's why happy hour's hopping at the bar. And if you think about it, almost every single nonprofit that's ever been started can be traced back to the fact that a man did not do what he was designed to do. And there's going to be some women in the room over the next three weeks today, maybe some kids in the room, and you're going to have some things that will be stirred up in you, some scars that you're going to be reminded of, because there was a man in your life who did not do what he was supposed to do for you. So we've got to figure out what happened. Well, I think one of the things that happened, one of the places that we go wrong, is that there is no rite of passage from a boy to become a man. Now, think about it. Many tribes have a rite of passage, something that they would go through. In our American culture, there is no rite of passage from boyhood to manhood. So how do we even really know when you become a man? How do we know when that starts? Obamacare says 26. Budweiser says 21. U.S. Army says 18. DMV says 16. Disney says 10, because they start charging full price at that point. And the only, place, <clears throat> the only place there is consistency is between Delta and Advil, because at two, you become an adult we're confused we don't know when do you become a man so because there is no rite of passage because there is no definition of this manhood thing we get this thing called delayed boyhood and so now there's a there's another category of male in between boy and man and it's called a dude and a dude is basically a boy that shaves that's what that's how you lay it out And so now here's what happens. It takes a man to move a boy into manhood. But that's not happening. And so what we have is we have a lot of men doing boyish things trying to prove their manhood. So now we say things like, man, I got the biggest rims, or I got the loudest truck, or I killed the biggest deer, or I can consume more than you, more women, more beer, more drugs, more money, more whatever. All in this effort to prove ourselves. But the reality is a dude likes accomplishments and success, but they don't take responsibility. And a man has to take responsibility. Now, there are two responses of the world, not of the church, of the world to this. Here's the first way, or the two ways that the world responds to the problem of manhood. First, the world says there's no real difference between the two. There's no real difference between men and women. You go to the restroom wherever you want to go. That's what the culture says. That's the first response. They're all the same. second response of the world is this. It basically comes out as men are just better. Like they are. They're just better. And that's chauvinistic. And both of those responses are wrong, and the church has to reject both of them. And here's the thing. We live in the Bible Belt. All right, in a Christian nation, where in God we trust. But the reality is we've got a ton of churches and there are hardly any dudes in them because what's happened in so many churches is we said, hey, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to do all these woman-like things. You need to join a choir and sit in a little small group, talk about all your feelings, right? and basically just sit there and be quiet. And we've got a lot of guys who said, well, if that's what it takes, I don't want to be one of those. And our hope is that when you walk in here, fellas, if that that's not what you feel. Because what I'm here to tell you is, you don't need to check your man card at the door if you want to be a follower of Jesus. God designed you, He equipped you to be a man. But He did not give you that strength and that authority for you alone. But He gave it to you for God's glory and for you to protect those who are around you. The world wants you to apologize for being a man, but I'm here to tell you that you don't have to apologize because that's how God created you. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, Every single man is asking this one question. Ladies, you need to write this one down. This is note number one. Every single man is asking this question. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And ladies, guess what? Here's a little inside secret. Here's our biggest fear that you would discover that we don't have what it takes. That's so why we want to be number one, work our way to the top, get the promotion, one up our friend, get the biggest truck, drive the fastest, move up in the company. That's what we want to prove ourselves. And our biggest fear is that you would discover that we don't have what it takes. Fellas, here's some good news for you today. We're going to ultimately come back here. The good news of the gospel is you don't have to prove yourself. You don't. And in reality, actually, when you learn that you can't, that you are insufficient, that you're not good enough, at that point, you're in the proper position to submit yourself to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus in your life. That's where we're headed today. And so for a lot of men, they would say, well, I'm not even really sure what the target is, but I'm quite sure after that intro, I'm missing it. So what we're going to do today is if we're going to talk about the building of a man, we've got to go back to the foundation, the origin of where it all started. So we're going to go to Genesis 2. But before we go to Genesis 2, I need to point out one thing that happens in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, God creates man and woman. It says he creates man and woman in his image. So man and woman become the image bearers of God. So in Genesis 1, God takes part of his character and he sticks it in the man. He takes another part of his character and he sticks it in the woman. And so the most accurate picture that we can see of God's character is when a man and woman come together, that the two would become one because they're image bearers of God. So that's Genesis 1, and then we pick up Genesis 2 and check out what happens next. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God made the man. There's no need to apologize for being a man. But where it says there that God breathed the breath of life, that word is translated in the original language, ruha, ruha. Now that could be translated as his spirit or his breath. So what really happens there is there's the shell of a being, and God breathes his ruha, his spirit, into the the shell of a man, and at that point he becomes a man. It's at that point that he became a man. Now, here's the reality for some of you guys in the room. I don't know all of you. I don't know all your stories, but here's what I know. A lot of you appear to have life, but in all reality, you're just the shell of a man. And my prayer for you, our prayer for you, is that over these three weeks together, that God would breathe his Ruah, his spirit, his life into you if you'd be open. And then over the next three weeks, that God would not only give you life, but that he would help you become the man that God designed you to be. Now, go back to Genesis 2, pick up verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. It's called the Garden of Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Now what we realize from Scripture is that God created the man in the wilderness, and then he put him in the garden. As we're going to see later, God created Eve in the garden. But he took the man out of the wilderness, put him in the garden. Man, that should kind of help some things make sense. That God created us with a warrior mentality. My four-year-old son does not wake up wanting to play tea party. No, he wakes up wanting to build a fort and shoot all his stuffed animals with his bazooka dart gun. That's what he wants to do. Because God made the boy to be a man, to be a warrior. And that's the calling on us. And verse 9 goes on to say this, Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, next few verses, we are going to kind of skip over those. But what it does is just names a whole bunch of rivers that are there in the Garden of Eden. And then in verse 15, which is where we're going to, God gives Adam, or he gives the man, three things. These are going to be the three big pillars we're going to build around today. Three things God gives to him under one banner. Here's the first thing. Verse 15, Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it here's the first thing that god gives a man god gave man a work to enjoy god gave man a work to enjoy work is not the result of sin or the fall because before there was sin there was work god called us he invited us to become co-creators with him God makes the Garden of Eden, and he creates Adam and Eve, and he's like, hey, I want you to join with me, become co-creators to cultivate the land. Now, here's the reality. We live in a culture today where a lot of people are working really hard not to work. That's not a biblical value. God created the man with a job, a work to enjoy. Now, here's the way we want to define work from what we see in Scripture. Work, as we see it, can be defined this way. Work is rearranging the raw goods that God has provided for human flourishing. Rearranging the raw goods that God has provided for human flourishing. Same thing is true today. That's why I believe there's no real great divide between a secular and a sacred job. It's not that my job is just that much more holy because I come to the office here and you go somewhere else. No, God's put a calling on your life, and that's what you need to begin to realize. That's why for all men in the room, it's so important for you to find a calling and a career. And if God hasn't given you that yet, there's not clarity on that yet, then you get a job until you figure that out. But God has given us a work to enjoy. Work is rearranging the raw goods that God's provided for human flourishing. So this is what that might mean. For some of you, that might mean that you rearrange sticks and stones to make a house for a family to live in and thrive. For others of you, maybe that means that you rearrange medicine as a doctor or as a pharmacist to help provide human healing to those who are sick. Or maybe you rearrange money as a banker or an accountant or a CEO at your company or whatever. You rearrange the raw goods that God has provided for human flourishing. God is a good dad who invites his kids in to work with him. How I many of you ever invited your kid in to do like a work project with you before? Isn't that awesome? You get so much done, right, for about two minutes and then it's over with? All right. But you enjoyed sharing in that with your child. Same way with God. God's a good dad who invites us to be co-creators with him as we cultivate the land and do the work That God has given us to enjoy. So first, God gives the man a work to enjoy. Verse 16, Genesis 2. Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from that one, you will certainly die. Here's the second thing God, God gives Adam. God gave man a will to obey. God gave man a will to obey. Realize, God was not really into rules. He was into relationships. There was only one thou shalt not in the whole garden. One no and a whole lot of yeses. I mean, God looks at him and he gives him commandments. Like, hey, enjoy the whole garden. It's perfect and it's all yours. And eat from any tree in the whole garden. Just don't touch that one right there. And then later when God introduces Adam to Eve, he's like, hey, Adam, you see her? Be fruitful and multiply. Do I need to take that one any further? All right. That was God's idea, fellas. The one no that God gives which is the same with every single commandment, is that God says there's this one thing that will kill you if you go after it. And I love you so much that I'm going to tell you to stay away from it. So God gives man work to enjoy, and then he gives him right here a will to obey. Verse 18. Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Here's the third thing that God gives Adam. Adam. God gave man a woman to love. A woman to love. Now, let me talk to all my single fellows real quick. The New Testament only speaks of one reason for the gift of singleness. And that is so that you can devote yourself wholeheartedly to the work of the church. So for some of you, maybe God's given you that passion and that gift of singleness. And if so, that's awesome. And praise God for you. And the truth is that you're probably going to be able to get more done than I will because God's given me a role as a husband and as a dad. But for some of you, you're going like, I don't know that I got that whole gift of singleness thing. Right? God's wired me in this different way, but he just hasn't given me a spouse yet. Here's the command to you. Love your mama. Love your sister. And especially love your sisters here at the exchange. Here's why. Because how you practice will determine how you play. If you can't love and honor and respect the women and the females in your life right now You're not gonna put on a tuxedo and stand at an altar one day and all of a sudden just light bulb go off And you start loving and honor and respecting your wife How you practice Determines how you're gonna play Ladies it says that God gave you as a helper to the man and i'm just gonna speak on behalf of all men We need you as a helper. We need you as a helper but I'm going to give you a couple things, ladies, on ways to not help during this series. Number one, at no point whatsoever for any reason should you bring up the series to your spouse or your boyfriend. No, not this afternoon, not tomorrow, not Thursday night at dinner. Hey, babe, when are you going to start doing that thing Pastor Brian was talking about? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> second, okay, second Ladies, if your man is smart at all, he will try some things during this series that he may not have tried in a long time or maybe ever. Ladies, listen in. Your job is not to correct him and complain. Well, you ain't done that in three months. Where was that back in December? Okay. Don't do that. When he does this, you have one response Hercules, Hercules. All right. That's it. That's it the encouragement the encouragement from a woman is huge like we cannot measure it all right you have an incredible role as a helper at my house just being straight up in my house one of the times that i feel like the biggest man is when my wife can't get the lid off the jelly jar and she hands it to me and i'm there you go baby all right i'm manning up I mean, listen, ladies, men are like puppies. They will repeat what is rewarded. If he gets it right, give him a treat, and he'll go, well, shucks, I ought to do that again. <laughs> try it. Just try it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So God gives Adam this role. He's like, I want you to name everything. Adam's naming all these things. and he goes, where's one for me, God? He's looking for a soulmate he's like, there's not one. Check out what God does next. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Notice, God took the rib because they were going to be side by side in life and ministry. Now, single guys, notice that Adam got everything in order in his life, and then God gave him a woman. A lot of single guys go, when's God going to give me a woman? Let me ask you a question. If you were God, would you give you a woman? Ooh, did he say that? Yeah, he did. God says you need to get some things in order in your life, and then I might bless you with a daughter of mine. I've heard it said this way before. Before you look for the one... Become the one that your one is looking for. So you need to write that down. Verse 23. If you look at the next words, verse 23, something a little different. They're in quotations because the writer wants us to know that Adam is singing. Adam sees his wife and he bursts into song. First R&B song in history. We're about to read it right here. Genesis 2, verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In Hebrew, the word for woman and mine is basically the same word. This means that Adam sees all the living creatures and he goes, cat, dog, horse. And then he sees his wife and he goes, mine. Not in a possessive kind of way, but in a way of like, she was taken from me, and we will be together. Adam says, she is mine. Verse 24, that is why... A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two, they become one flesh. Verse 25, and Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In God's economy, one man plus one woman equals one for one lifetime. And as we look at this, we notice the order. It's a really particular order. They leave and cleave. They leave father and mother. They cleave and become one in marriage. And then they are intimate and unashamed. They get married, then they're intimate, and then they're unashamed. In our culture, we get it completely backwards. We get intimate and then we get married, and then there's a whole lot of shame in the marriage. And let me say something real quick, just a little timely detour, fellas. Men if you're leading your wife or girlfriend to a theater to pay for a ticket to watch people on a screen abuse what God has created, you're not leading. You're not leading. God has designed you with a purpose and that ain't it. And so when you start going, I don't understand what's going on. It's not going well. That's it. That's it. God gives Adam a work to enjoy, a will to obey. And a woman to love all up under one banner worship. That's it. Now, does that mean they like held a worship service at the Garden of Eden every day with guitars and stuff? No. It means that their life was a worship response to God. So we try to like help you guys understand it's not about like 60 minutes in a building, but it's about everything that happens out there, just their being together as, as one was a worship response to God. And it's a really perfect plan. Work to enjoy, will to obey, woman to love. It's a perfect plan, great system for all of about one verse. And then we mess it all up. Go to Genesis 3. Here's what happens next. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat fruit or you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So Satan comes in, and he tempts Eve by asking her, did God really say that? Right. That's how the enemy always starts, because he's the father of lies. He wants you to doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. And so he comes out, and he goes, did God really say that? I mean, come on, man, is that really what the Bible says? Like, no, you you don't really have to follow that. And that's how the enemy attacks, and he did it right here. And check out what happens in verse 2. The woman responds to the serpent. She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Verse 4, serpent's response. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The primary lie of the enemy is for you to believe that God is not for you. That you're a better God than he is. That's why around here we sing that good, good father song so much. Because if we could ever really latch into those two truths of that chorus that we sing over and over and over, you're a good, good father. I mean, you love me. And then I'm loved by you. I'm a child of yours. And you've redeemed me. And you've chosen me. Man, if you ever like, it's not just a little four-minute song, but if your life ever wraps around that, dude, total identity change. Everything about you begins to change. Verse 6, check out how the woman responds. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, we're going to see the three parts of sin here. When she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's the pride of life, what did she do? She took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he Aided. Perhaps the worst preposition in the whole Bible, he was with her. Meaning that they were elbow to elbow. And the greatest problem of so many men in our culture today is passivity. It's not that the man did something wrong, it's that he, didn't, he did nothing at all. For some of you, the greatest fear in your life is that woman that you live with. I mean, you'll go hunt a bear with your bare hands. You go motorcycle riding, whatever it takes, down the interstate. But when you go home, you're scared of the opinion of your wife. Phyllis, God didn't call you to be with her. He called you to lead her. And guess what? That's what she desires. Not just lead her randomly anywhere, to lead her with purpose. You want to know why your marriage is jacked up? That's it. She wants you to lead. Maybe that's not how she's exactly saying it, but trust me, God wired her that way. That's what she wants. Don't be with her. Lead her. Verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And in this moment, religion was born. Religion was born. Everyone rejects God. We either reject God in the rebellion of the fruit, or we reject God in the religion of the fig leaf. Here's what I mean by that. We either go for what God said don't go for, or we're like, God, I don't really need you, and I can cover up my sin and my weakness on my own. So that's what we chase. We chase either the rebellion of the fruit, or the rejection of the religion of the fig leaf. Verse 8, check this out. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. In verse 9, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Classic man move. Duck, cover, blame. And God asked the question, where are you? Now, I want you to think for a second. How silly must that have appeared for Adam and Eve that God created, okay? He created the whole garden. He created to try to hide from God. I got a little four-year-old in my house, a little four-year-old son named Braylon. He loves to play hide and seek around our house and so the way that typically goes down is he comes to me like hey dad would you go in here and you count and i'm gonna go and i'm gonna go hide and i'm like all right buddy let's play and so i go in this room and i count to 10 real slow and i get there and then i say hey buddy ready or not here i come and i walk into the very next room and there, sticking out from behind the door is half of my son's whole body <laughs> the other half is discreetly hidden behind the door so what do I do as his dad? I'm like, oh, buddy, where are you? Can't find you. Are you such a good hider? And then I'm like, hey, there you are. And his question is always this. Oh, man, Dad, how did you find me? And I'm like, well, buddy, it was tough, but Daddy figured it out. <laughs> that's how silly we look when we try to hide from God. And the big question for some of you to tackle today, man, is where are you? Where are you? What are you trying to hide behind? Because that's how silly it looks when we try to hide from our father. Verse 10, Genesis 3, talking about Adam, he, Adam, answered to God, he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God's like, no, duh. Verse 11, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Adam says, God, it's either your fault or her fault. Y'all get together, decide on that, and then I'll accept the apology, all right? That's what Adam says. Classic man move again. Duck, cover, blame. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Guess what she does? She blames the serpent. Wonder who she learned from? Probably her man. And in this moment, sin is introduced into the world. And the three things that God had given the man were all corrupted because of sin. And we can point back to that moment right there why everything bad happens in our world. From the big things like tornadoes and hurricanes to the little things like emotions of rage and anger and jealousy and pride. Why does all that go down? That's it right there. That's it. You don't need a further explanation. And in that moment, sin corrupts the gifts that God gave to man. We're going to see it. Verse 14, Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, this gets pretty deep. He says, because you've done this. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, stay with me. This is the first pointing to the gospel. Three chapters in, God's already pointing to the rescue mission. When God says, sin will be present, but ultimately Christ will come and he will crush the enemy. Get ready. It's coming. But in this moment, sin corrupts our will to obey. It corrupts the will to obey. Here's the reality. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. We have a spiritual enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's out to tell you, fellas, that you don't have what it takes that you don't have what it takes. The enemy twists this will to obey that God gave all of us into one of two things, into either license or legalism. License, meaning we just do whatever we want to do. It doesn't really matter. I mean, God will forgive us. Or legalism, where we say, I don't need God to cover up my sin. I can cover it up on my own. I'm a big old boy. License or legalism. Guys, what we got to realize is that our main problem is not that we sin, but it's that we are sinners. Sinners. I guess that's the core of who we are. That's that's what our hearts lean towards. I didn't have to teach my little boy mine. He just came out. He got that one really quick. Sin corrupts our will to obey. Corrupts the second thing too, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This means that sin corrupts the relationship between Adam and the woman to love. What was created to be a loving relationship of connection now becomes a contradiction and a competition. And ladies, you were created to help. We said that a while ago. So it's in your nature to help. However... Sometimes when you try to help your man, it feels to your man like a hostile takeover. The word desire means to take over. And sometimes instead of being a helpmate, it comes across a lot more like a dog trainer. Come here. Come on. Come on. Hey, sit right there. No, no, don't don't say no more. That's enough. All right. That's not the role of a helpmate. But here's the deal. It's not your fault. It's a result of the fall. Just like we got issues, all right, that's not what it means to be a helpmate. Here's how that kind of plays out sometimes. Your man's at the cookout telling a story to his buddies. Hey, well, I remember this time, like, we were there, and it was three years ago, and you're like, no, 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 it was two years ago, two years ago. Well, and then we were down there in Destin. It wasn't Destin, baby. It was Gulf Shores, okay? And I know in that moment, you're going like, man, I am God's gift to him because I'm helping fix all those mistakes, okay? That ain't what it means to be a helper, all right? God did not give you to be his Holy Spirit. You are a helper. You're not called to be his corrector. Because to him, what it's saying is, you don't have what it takes. Not even to tell the story. And some of you ladies think, well, that's why I'm here. I'm here to correct him. But that ain't what it means to be a helper. Stop it. All right? Don't do that. Verse 17. Look at this. Well, Let me go back. It says, the enemy twists this. He twists this gift of a woman to love into two different things. Because of all that we just talked about, here's two different things the enemy twisted into. Either abuse from men or passivity from men, neither of which that God designed the man for. All right? That's what happens. That's how the enemy corrupts it. Verse 17. To Adam, to the man, he said, because you listened to your wife. Men, did you know that you're not supposed to listen to the voice of your wife? Huh? Huh? You're supposed to listen to her heart and a lot of those times a lot of times fellas those two things contradict don't they amen don't say amen you got to go to lunch with her don't do it they contradict think about it like this you're riding down the road all right and you know something's not quite right with your wife or your significant other whatever and she's giving you the window treatment all right she's just staring out over there and you know something ain't right and you know there ain't nothing out the window because you're going down i-20 and there's nothing but pine trees for the last 20 miles and so what do you say Baby, something wrong? What's wrong? And what does she say back? No, nothing's wrong. And if you're dumb like me, sometimes you believe and you're like, oh, I guess everything's all right. Don't do that. Don't listen to her voice. Listen to her heart. Scripture says that we're called to love our wife unto knowledge, meaning that we would study her, that we would know her heart, that we would know how she ticks, and that more than we listen to her voice, that we would begin to listen to her heart. Here's a great tip, guys. This is free. When your wife communicates feelings, you communicate feelings back. When your wife communicates facts, then you can communicate facts back. Here's what I mean. If your wife comes to you and she says, oh, man, I just feel fat. Feeling. All right? You don't respond back. Well, if you didn't eat so much, you wouldn't be so fat. All right? Fact. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you do, I'll see you Wednesday for counseling. All right? Don't do that. So he corrupts. Second thing as well. Here's the third corruption. Verse 17. Genesis 3. To Adam, he says, Because you listened to your wife, and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground. And since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to, and to dust you will return. So the work that we do was damaged by sin, and now our work wars against us. And now the enemy takes the gift of work, and he twists it into one of two things for men. Laziness or idolatry, where the man's identity gets caught up and lost in what he does. That's what the enemy does. You twist it into one of those two things. So all three areas were damaged by sin. Will to obey, the woman to love, and the work to enjoy. So what do we do? Try harder, man up, buck up, push through. You can try it, but it won't work. I mean, it'll last until maybe about Tuesday. Listen up. For some of you guys, here's what's going to happen. Like, you've been listening, you've been leaning in, maybe taking some notes, and you're going to walk out of here, you're going to try to fix 10 years in about 10 minutes, and it's going to overwhelm you and your family. Don't do that. Because here's what that would be saying. If you try to prove your manhood by your own strength, then you're thinking that your manhood is based on what you do. And it's not. We said that earlier. Some of you fellas, you'll be like, man, I, just, I know I'm going to fail, so I'm, just, I'm not even going to try. That's not what God designed you for either. So what do we do? Guys, what do we do in in response to what we've heard today? Here's the answer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Adam names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Again, this is a foreshadowing of the gospel. God says, Adam and Eve, you've messed up. You've sinned, but I'm providing a covering for your sin. I will do for you what you cannot do for you. And he says... An animal will shed its blood and out of that will become a garment that will allow me to cover up your weakness, your sin, and your shame, and I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. So here it is, man. This is it. To stand up and man up, you must first bow down and surrender to Jesus. That's it. To stand up and man up, You must first bow down and surrender to Jesus. That's it. That's where it starts. The fundamental question is, do I have what it takes? Do you have what it takes? The answer is, nope. You don't and I don't have what it takes. And the moment that we get there, the moment that we get there, we are in a perfect place to surrender, to submit ourselves Jesus leadership over our life and in that moment the power of God's spirit his Ruah, can be breathed into you to allow you to get back up and man up and be the man that God's called you to be and listen to me fellas I know I've come hard and I've come fast but for those who get to that place and surrender themselves to Jesus that's why it always starts there for that man That man, God has given us all the power that we need. Scripture says we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not our own power. Through him who loved us. And in that, we find everything that we need for everything that God's called us to be. For the husband you're called to be, for the dad you're called to be, at your workplace, your role in society, God equips you with everything that you need for life and godliness to be the servant, the priest, the provider, and the protector that God called you to be. Here's how we know that. Later in the New Testament, Paul would write this. Romans 5.17. For if by the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man. In other words, Adam's failure infected the whole entire human experience. And let's not get upset with him because we'd have chosen the same thing if we'd have been there. So for the trespass of the one man, death reigned. But how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Guys, the problem is that we are sinners. We're not mistakers in need of a life coach to give us an attaboy and tell us to lift our head up and get back in the game. No, we're sinners in need of a savior who would come and rescue us. And that is Jesus. Jesus stepped in and did what Adam could not. And where Adam messed up, Jesus came as the second and greater Adam. To provide the garment of sacrifice that covers our sin and weakness. Men, you can't do this on your own and you weren't designed to. You'll go one of two ways. You're either try to macho man it up and you look really silly trying or you'll just give up altogether. And that's not how God designed you to be. Men, the ultimate form of strength, the ultimate form of strength the ultimate form of strength for every man is to bow down before Jesus and say Jesus I can't but I believe that you in me can that's what it means to man up that's what it means to man up and over the next three weeks it's time for some of you to take a step up and man up So that you can make a change so that your whole life can be different. Your marriage, your family, your household, your job, and generations behind you, people that you don't even know that will follow you, will be able to look back. No go. You remember when uncle or dad or granddad or great granddad, you remember when, man, God intersected his life and he chose to step up and man up, and it's changed everything about our family. So, fellas, if you're with me on this journey and you're ready to go, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to man up. I want you to stand up right now. All the fellas in the house, if you're ready to go, man, I'm in, whatever it takes, I'm in. Some of you may, you know what, some of you right now, you may go, I don't even know what all this means, but dude, I'm in, I'm in, and I've been trying my way for forever, and it's not working, but you know what? Today, it's different, man. It's different. If you're a wife or girlfriend in the room right now, this would be an appropriate point for you to grab his hand. God leads you to do that. Because listen to me, ladies. The moment that he hits that door, the moment that he hits that door, the enemy will begin to wear him out to go, you don't have what it takes. Get ready. It's coming. Ladies, listen to me. Here's your role. You want to know what your role is? Here's your role. To be the voice and the echo of God in the other ear going, baby, you got what it takes. And I'm with you. And it's going to be a war, but we will stand together. And in Christ, not in our own power, but in Christ, we will stand firm and we will be victorious. Fellas, what our world needs is not better social organizations. It's not a better run government. It's not more well-meaning, nice, compassionate people. Those would be great things. What our world needs is more men who are willing to step up and man up and be the man that God's called them to be. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.